Welcome to Hope for the Caregiver. This is Peter Rosenberger. This is the show for you as a family caregiver. More than 65 million Americans right now are caring for a chronically impaired loved one. Now, it could be something such as Alzheimer's. It could be something such as autism. Or you could be caring for a family member who has an addiction issue. Lots of different impairments. Mental illness to trauma to to disease. All kinds of different things happen, but there's always a caregiver. How do you help the caregiver? What does it look like to help the caregiver? Why should you help the caregiver? If the caregiver goes down, what happens to the loved one? And that's where we step in on this show to help strengthen those who are taking care of somebody who is not strong, somebody who is struggling, helping you stay healthy as you take care of someone who is not. And healthy caregivers make better caregivers. There's more at hopeforthecaregiver.com. If you want to learn more about the show and see our older episodes and, and our podcast, which is free, And we'd love to have you participate in all that we're offering here because this issue affects all of us. If you love somebody, you will be a caregiver. If you live long enough, you will need one. And this is our journey. I'm bringing 35 years of experience as a caregiver and counting to the table. And most of what I've learned, I've learned through um, brutal failure. (laughs) I am the wily coyote of caregivers, and uh, I have chased after many a tunnel that was driven, <laughs> that was drawn on a cave wall. Uh, you know, it was uh, like I, I go back and look at all the anvils that fell on wily coyote, and I think that's me. And I and I get the journey, but I've also seen God's faithfulness and provision and and His precepts in this in ways that I did not expect. And for a long time, I thought the issue was. Okay, caregiving, the task of being a caregiver. Well, how do we deal with this particular problem with uh, with this doctor or this type of diagnosis or this type of procedure? And those are important things. But once you got it, you got it. You don't have to be retrained on that. You, you've got it. Okay, I know how to do that. I know how to give an injection. And I found over the years that the problem for caregivers lies in our hearts, not in the task, in our hearts, because our hearts are a train wreck. And if our hearts are a train wreck, guess what happens to our wallets, our relationships, our jobs, our careers, all that's involved. And so that's where we spend a lot of time on this show. I'm also looking for interesting guests to come along who have journeyed in this world and they have um, experienced things that I think are going to be helpful to us as caregivers to glean from, to learn from. And they come out with their own scars, their own wounds, but they've walked through some healing and some and some uh, growth personally, and now they're taking it to extend to others. And one of those is my guest here today. His name is Mark Negley, and he's got a new book out called Survive, Alive, Thrive. I, I just survive, alive, thrive. And what does this mean to us as caregivers? What can we learn from this? And you'll you'll hear a lot of your own journey in Mark's story, and I want to welcome you to the show. So, Mark, thank you for being here with us today. Peter, it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me on. Tell us a little bit about your background. Before you wrote this book, What where did you find yourself in this journey that we have as caregivers? And a lot of folks are going to, their ears are going to perk up because you've experienced some things that we hit on in this show a lot, but a lot of people don't necessarily talk about this in the caregiving world. You did it. Talk about your journey. Sure, I'd be happy to. Uh, You know, what's interesting, Peter, is 
the oldest book in the Bible is Job. And, you know, we all know Job's story, and, and in my case, uh, the idea that uh, suffering is unique to my story is, is um, no more true than the folks that are listening who are going through suffering or caretaking for others who are, are struggling. This is part of our human existence, right? And it's, it's given me some perspective as I've reflected on my journey. You know, you've asked specifically some of the things that I've experienced. Um, I had a phone call in 2010 as my wife was being uh, taken at a high speed in an ambulance to a hospital from the paramedic in the in the ambulance who you know called me at work and said, "Listen, it's been a serious car accident and." Uh, we think she's going to live, but you need to get to the hospital quickly. And, you know, nothing really prepares a person for that phone call, right? You're you're it, it, sitting at work and, and focused on a task, and suddenly your world is turned upside down. And in this particular case, uh, my wife, Victoria, uh, did live through the accident. I've had substantive uh, neurological trauma and, and issues in her neck and head and, and uh, upper upper body that um, began, you know, a long journey of, of pain and struggle for her that, um, that took uh, me out of uh, my my rhythms in life and thrust me into the role of caretaking for her as the pain um, was not we couldn't address it neurologically and ended up. Uh, uh, watching her uh, fall into a, a depression and then a, a deep depression and struggle with being able to differentiate between, you know, reality and, and uh, paranoid delusions. And it was a heartbreaking process. You know, and, uh, one, of the, one of the folks who works with me in the uh, nonprofit organization that I'm involved with, having founded it recently, said, you know, grief and brokenness and caretaking applies certainly is not an individual game. It's a team sport. And, you know, those folks that go through this Sometimes stuff, full you know, they know it all too well, right? Sometimes it's full contact. <laughs> team sport. <laughs> so true. And, and, and we don't know, get helmets and pads with it, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, folks think, well, it just affects that person or, or you know, maybe one other. You know, I read a statistic recently that said, that the average suicide, for example, impacts five to ten people directly um, in their um, in their circle, and that is a direct traumatic impact, not the far-reaching impact. So, you know, when we are involved in these sorts of, of challenges, um, it involves all of us um, and all those that that love and care for the person struggling. And you know, of course, the interesting question then is, so what you posed is, so as I was caretaking for my wife during that four-year period of time, you know, who was helping me or what support was I seeking out? That, that's part of what I'm doing. But, you know, my story continues in, in the context that um, in 2015, I, I got called into a doctor after some tests and he looked at me and said, let you no way to sugarcoat this. You have cancer, and we have to take action um, quickly to assure that it's either not metastasized or we we shorten that that time frame. And presented me with a 
bunch of options. So at this point, um, I'm struggling with the potential loss. Uh, and to hear a doctor say, we don't think this is going to kill you if we get after it quickly is another ground shaking moment. And well, prior to that, my son, uh, Anderson, um, who is today 24 at three years old, would diagnosed with significant learning disabilities and, um, on the autism spectrum, but, um, able to, you know, a bright guy, but unable to read or numbers are particularly difficult. So regular school was not an option. So we engaged in the process of looking for uh, private school and specialty options along those lines. And midway through that process, my mother-in-law had a, uh, a, a emotional a break and went into uh, a mental health facility. And we um, my wife and I brought her to our home for two or three years to nurse her back to emotional health. So, yeah, I mean, I've, I've been through, you know, some, some tough experiences. And then ultimately, um, the biggest blow of all was in 2016 when Victoria went off of her medication and uh, six weeks later took her life. And from that point well, forward, picking up the pieces with my son was, was the next step. Well, and that's what brings us to why you're on today. But but I wanted people to understand the, the background you had, the frame of which you speak, uh, from, from where you speak, your authority in this area, which is strong. And Mark, uh, you know, I, I could just hear that painful journey. We're going to take a quick break. We're going to be right back. And I want you to take us deeper into this. This is Hope for the Caregiver. This is Peter Rosenberger. We'll be right back. Hi, I'm Steve Tiber with 8 Days of Hope. 8 Days of Hope exists to love and serve those in need. Over the past 15 years, over 40,000 volunteers have helped 7,000 families rebuild their homes for free after natural disasters. We've also renovated and rebuilt facilities to bring hope and healing to those rescued from sex trafficking. Our rapid response ministry is busier than ever. With 40 deployments over the last four years, we've been able to minister to so many when it mattered most. It's completely free to serve with us. We provide your food and lodging when you volunteer. There's countless opportunities for any skill set and any skill level. We spend multiple weeks with those that have lost so much by cutting trees, tarping roofs, mucking out houses, and so much more. Consider joining us on our next outreach. You will never be the same. For more information about 8 Days of Hope, please go to 8daysofhope.com. That's 8daysofhope.com. I'm Rick Scarborough, and this is my tape. Our president said on January the 23rd, he had already decided on how to respond to a drone attack that killed three of our service members in Jordan and injured over 40 of our brave soldiers, including some with severe brain injuries. But on the 27th of January, he gave no further details about his plan. Washington has blamed the attack on the regional violence accompanying the war between Israel and Hamas. President Biden said he had already decided how to respond to the drone attack that killed three of our service members and injured so many more. But on Saturday following, he gave no details about his plans. Our troops have been attacked over 60 times with little or no retaliation. Now Iran is threatening severe consequences if we respond with the force necessary to instill fear in our adversaries. After three years of Biden's presidency, who do you think will blink first? I'm Rick Scarborough, and that's my take. Oh, for tomorrow, joy for your sorrows. 
Welcome back to Hope for the Caregiver. This is Peter Rosenberger. This is the show for you as a family caregiver, and he does know the plans that he has for you. That's my wife, Gracie, from her CD, Resilient. And you can find out how to get a copy of that at hopeforthecaregiver.com. Hopeforthecaregiver.com. We're talking with Mark Negley, who's bringing a very, very difficult journey to us today, but things that he's learned through this process, and it's in his new book, Survive, Alive, Thrive. And his world was already dealing with some challenges when he had a son that was diagnosed being on the spectrum. He's had stuff, brushes with this, with other family members. But then this accident of his wife uh, took him into a much different place and one that ultimately had a very sad outcome when she went off of her meds and then she took her own life. And into that world, Mark, is taking readers and, and us today into, okay, what did I learn through this? What what am I learning through this? And where can I go with this? And then how can I extend this to others who are in that same place? I, I, there's a stat out there. There's 22 vets a day who are taking their lives. And we're going to have later on in the show, uh, a um, uh, down the road here, uh, a show with a guy that I met here who's riding his bike across the country uh, who's a police officer who's raising awareness for police officers who've taken their own lives. And it's, it's, uh, it's an extraordinary, uh, complex event that happens that if, as, as Mark just said, it affects five on average, five people profoundly, not just cursory. We're like, Oh, that's really sad. No, I'm talking about profoundly affecting people. And how do we, walk through this? How do we hang on to God's provision of faithfulness in this? So Mark, uh, before I get into some more of the meat of this, let me ask you a quick question. Now, your wife was traumatized and there was neurological trauma after her wreck that resulted in, was it some type of mental impairment or in, uh, something? What what was going on with that? What was the diagnosis with that? Yeah, it, it's a good question. And you know, it's so interesting uh, Peter, is that diagnosing neurological damage, particularly in the head, neck, and, and other related areas, is, is extraordinarily complex. Even the most renowned uh, neurologists that you find will tell you that it, it, it can be really difficult to pinpoint um, the cause of it. And I mean, you've heard of people that, that on, on a less um, significant or traumatic level have numbness in their hands that they track to a nerve in the neck. Um, there's, it, it's complicated. In Victoria's case, um, she had a, hit a landscape truck, um, one of those the big old trucks hauling mowers in the back, um, mm. uh, over 40 miles an hour. And if it wasn't for the SUV she was driving, um, and even the condition of the SUV made it hard to believe that she had survived it. So when I arrived at the hospital, I was shocked that it was really not as physically um, intensely uh, visible as, as I thought, you know, black eyes and swollen and broken nose and things. But the point is that um, the hidden damage was that what she would refer to as this hidden uh, neurological feeling that she had that she referred to sometimes as a waterfall effect, um, which felt like water was streaming through her and down her face 
but it wasn't visible. She would get pain from that experience, and it would uh, trek down the back of her head into her neck and so forth. And we went to see many uh, neurologists, and you know, some you know can make the matter worse by saying, "Well, we don't see anything, so it must be in your head," which creates a sense of confusion and frustration for the person going through it. And in, well, in our case, in a case like that, Mark, when, when they say it must be in your head, you say, yeah, we're right. You're right. It is in our head. That's why we came to you. <laughs> Figure it out, buddy. <laughs> you, know, well, you know, but that's, it's, that's it's because I, I have a smart mouth and, and, and I, and I have to restrain myself on that sometimes. So sorry about that, but you know, but no, no, um, it, it's funny and tragically funny and true. And, You know, in this case, we, you know, there was many times where we had those types of conversations. And um, ultimately, when you battle pain, um, in fact, the old uh, adage from World War II was the water torture that uh, Asians would, you know, conduct of just dripping a little bit of water in someone's forehead as they were trapped down. It would cause folks to lose some of their emotional and, and, and uh, mental health grip on reality. And in our case, um, I was, our son was graduating middle school and on his way to high school when I received a phone call from my wife as I was going to the school to drop off gifts before his graduation. And she called in a panic and revealed to me that she was convinced that the FBI was waiting for us at waiting for me at the middle school to arrest me. And at first I thought it was a joke, um, but it wasn't. And she had at that point lost her struggle with something that I didn't really understand how, uh, how difficult of a struggle it was for her internally. And she finally revealed that in this um, uh, delusional paranoid fear that I, I would be arrested and, paraded through the streets for um, some reason, and I realized, okay, we need professional help. And we did receive professional help, and we received, you know, a lot of support from our church and pastors who had some experience with family members themselves, but the reality is that when you're the person responsible for taking care of somebody who's going through something that you might not be able to understand yourself, it takes patience and love that transcends um, what it, it, what most people expect when they sign up for that kind of a relationship, right? I mean, when you say um, that you're with somebody no matter what, sometimes that no matter what is so much more uh, intense and challenging than you could imagine. And it, it's it gets pretty gnarly, doesn't absolutely. it? <laughs> oh, you just got to lean on God. And there's, there's a number of techniques and strategies that I talk about in Survival Life Thrive, but the, but the bottom line is it's hard, and there's nobody who knows that more than your listeners who have been through it or are going through it right now. And well, and that's, more that's, than you. that's the reason we have you on the show here, because this is how we get stronger. We listen to each other's stories so that we're not just scrambling around in this in the dark and in isolation. Um, I want to take you back to something. When, when you have a, a seen disability, it's 
you know, you can you can wrap your mind around something like, for example, in my wife's case, both of her legs are gone. Okay, I, I get that. I'm not going to argue with amputation. Uh, right. It's there. I can see it. Um, she doesn't have her legs anymore, and so, uh, you know, there, I would not ask her to do something that somebody without legs couldn't do. You know, uh, but but when you have an unseen disability, whether there's a mental illness involved or there's there's a behavior modification going on because of drugs or because of neurological damage, things such as that chronic pain, that's a much different thing because you can't see it. Therefore, you're thinking that somehow they can snap out of it. But that's not the case, well, is it? Well, that is so true, man, and I'm glad you, you brought that up because you know this invisible enemy that we fight is so much more difficult than something that is more clear-cut and evident. And not that any of these challenges are easy, but, you know, you find yourself, I found myself struggling with not getting angry. And I can remember many conversations with Victoria that um, we, we were very, I had to be very clear that this frustration I was experiencing was not, with her, it was the frustration with her illness. It was this frustration mm. that I didn't feel like somehow I could battle it. I mean, it's kind of like, let me, you know, let me take something on head on. This is crafty and, and challenging and nuanced. And it's really, it, boy, it, it drives you to a point where you know that you have to rely on, you know, God and, and your faith. Um, because you know the right thing to do, and that is to be patient and show grace, the same grace that we get every day from our God, but show grace not only to the person that desperately needs it, who's you know looking for strength and support from someone they trust and love and need so desperately, but you need to show grace to yourself, right? I mean, there's times like, why, why can't I fix this? And the answer is some things you can't fix. Just being present and loving is the most important act that you can that you can share. And and that doesn't feel like enough to us. We want to somehow, you know, say the right thing or come up with that right argument or or do something. And and I I was recently on the show. We we're talking about a, an, an uh, event that happened with me when when Gracie coded one time in the hospital and I was just sitting there. I was normally just doing all kinds of tasks and being on the phone and doing business stuff and whatever, but I was just sitting there. I wasn't doing anything. And I looked over and she was blue and, and I was able to get all the people in there and get, get at the hospital. We, we got it all fixed and she would, we saved her life. But if I had been busy doing something, you know, some kind of activity, I would have probably missed that and she'd be dead and all this would have been for naught. And and as and I and I realized at that point to to not doubt the power of inactivity of learning to just be in the moment, where where you know these these are things and I'm going to unpack this in our next segment here that we're going to do because I think that being present is one of the hardest things that we have to do as caregivers because we desperately want to try to bring solutions, but as I tell myself right. and fellow caregivers, hey, look down at your hands if you don't see nail prints, this ain't yours to fix. And and so that is that is a hard thing for us to wrap because we're wired to somehow fix 
but you can't fix these things. There's some things that are just not going to be fixed this side of heaven. No matter how much I want to, I can't take away this pain that my wife lives with. You couldn't take away your wife's pain. You couldn't do, you could even get some of the doctors to even acknowledge that she was broken. And and you know, and those are frustrating things for us as caregivers. And we 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 turn ourselves into all kinds of human pretzels trying to somehow work through that and we can't and there's a surrender point that comes we're going to take go a little bit deeper in this mark in the next segment this is peter rosenberger we're talking with mark negley his new book is survive alive thrive and you're not going to want to miss this next segment we're going to we're going to go deeper and may may bring a few tears but that's okay that's what we're here for we'll be right back My wife and I stumbled on the AFR channel on Roku last night, and I was amazed. Not only did it give us access to American Family Radio talk programming or 24-hour AFR music, but the access was instantaneous. And AFR on Roku gives us access to AFR podcasts with archives of our favorite talk shows and special programs. We listened to the Don Wildman Memorial Show, which my wife had missed on the radio. The AFR channel on Roku. Install it free today. I know darkness is in the world, but that don't mean I got to kick over my front door and welcome it. Why would we continue to tolerate wickedness at any level? God knows the scope of your access and impact. He knows that. But he does expect you to be his ambassador in your world. Tune in to the Hamilton Corner, weekdays at 5 p.m. Central on American Family Radio. Pastor Robert Jeffress. Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth, you are the light of the world. Imagine a giant dam that is in danger of uh, collapsing, crumbling, and there's a village below filled with people who are in danger of being flooded. And a group of concerned townspeople go up and they push up against that dam. Then they know ultimately their effort is futile. Ultimately, that dam is going to burst. And that's really what we Christians are trying to do. We're not going to save this culture. We're not going to prevent its ultimate collapse. But we're to push back against evil for as long as we can to give people an opportunity to hear the life-changing gospel of Jesus Christ. We're to be a preservative, pushing back against evil, but at the same time, we're to be sharing the light of Jesus Christ. And I believe we're to get involved and not get in our spiritual silos and wait for the end to come. A reminder from American Family Radio. Welcome back to Hope for the Caregiver here on American Family Radio. This is Peter Rosenberger. This is the show for you as a family caregiver. That song, I love that song. It's one of my favorite songs, one of my favorite records the Imperials did many, many years ago. I'm forgiven. Now I have a reason for living. And yes, my Southern accent comes through on that. But understand that in the context of what we're talking about. Once we understand our relationship with God, that we're forgiven, that we are redeemed, this is not the end of the story, then that equips us to go into these very, very painful circumstances that we deal with as caregivers with that shining hope of the gospel, knowing that he who began a good work in us is faithful to complete it to the day of Christ Jesus. So that's the whole point. And if we are so tort on our own misery, 
on our own uh, dysfunction? How in the world can we engage with others? And if others don't respond in the way we would want them to, and we're not assured of God's redeeming work in our lives, then that will take us down as well. And we can grieve over things that don't have the outcome that we want to have, not because of something we've done, uh, we can, but we can grieve of that in a healthy manner without having to be in despair over it, knowing that, okay, this person has a Savior. I am not that Savior. And it's really important as caregivers that we grab a hold of that because we can't fix this. And we're talking with Mark Negley on his new book, Survive, Alive, Thrive, and who ran headlong into a situation that he could not fix. And it stayed broken, and it even had an even more heartbreaking ending to it. Mark, take us to that point where it did not have the ending that you wanted. There was no place where your wife was able to live a productive, quality life through this thing. She she went into a very dark place because of all the injuries that had happened to her. Talk about that a little bit. I know it's painful, but but there are, there are people out there right now who are listening to this who who are themselves dealing with this kind of pain, and and you can speak uh, uh, um, uh, you can offer a lifeline into that for them to them to stand on. So take us into that if you don't mind. Yeah, and you know, I want to say it's important that in sharing these stories, it's, it's my intent to honor my wife Victoria and the life that she lived, and the the joy and wonder that she provided those that she knew, as well as our son and, and me, for over twenty years. And you know, it the the story in in this case, um, it was after two years of struggling with the auto accident in 2010 and 2012 she went down this dark road and and had the psychological break um the next two years from 12 to 14 um i actually had a legal responsibility that had been provided by the doctors and and i was able to help support her not just emotionally and and um spiritually with prayer and so forth, but I was also able to make sure that her visits with physicians and psychologists and and get treatments, which is, I mean, boy, for those of us who have been through this in the mental health arena, I mean, it is a crazy roller coaster and uh, in some cases a nightmare. The insurance doesn't want to cooperate. Different medications uh, 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 impact different people differently. So the same pill that works on Joe doesn't work on Jill. Um, and so you go through effectively experimentation to try to find a medication um, that uh, a mix that works for that individual. And finally, after two years, um, Victoria started feeling much more like herself. Um, I'd say we got her back at 80%. And, you know, she was uh, really spent that time focusing on prayer and helping others to reach out of her own struggles. Um, and along that line, um, we thought things were, you know, turning the corner. And I thought, boy, after effectively four years of this, things are, we have a chance that the worst is behind us. But a little secret that people who have 
uh, caretaking responsibilities for uh, folks with mental health and emotional issues know is that there's this struggle for those who are going through it themselves that you're caretaking for, that once they take medication and they feel better or they start to feel better, they think, oh, gosh, now I don't need medication. And then they go back down the, the roller coaster and then they have to get back on it. Um, and that up and down cycle is, is super difficult for everybody, uh, particularly the person going through it. But boy, as a caretaker, you get somewhat, you're somewhat helpless in that case because it's really doctor patient. It's, it's, it's very disorienting. And, um, you, you don't, what, what, you know, we're solid ground for you as a caregiver and, and that I, yeah. Well, for Peter, the, 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 ultimately what happened is that, um, four weeks or so before our son was set to graduate high school, um, we had a big party to celebrate the fact that he actually was going to college and had overcome so much through his mental health issues. And, she decided she was going to go off her medication to lose weight because she felt medication was putting weight on, which it does. And I couldn't stop it. I, and ultimately, she spiraled. And three days after his graduation, with him home from high school, getting ready to go to college, um, came home to find out that she had uh, taken her life in the midst of the emotional and physical pain that had returned. And it was you know, obviously a, a devastating, traumatic experience to come home. Um, my son had gone out on a, a training run. He had a scholarship to run cross-country in college, and he'd come back thinking his mother wasn't home. And I came home from running errands and going out and hitting some golf balls and arrived home into a garage and found that um, she had taken her life and our world would never be the same. I, I, I don't have the words i really don't um to that kind of anguish that that you and your son and have have endured i can say with confidence that there are people listening to this show who have journeyed down that path and they are um uh, they are so rocked by this and 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 people don't know what to say to that and and i would ask you to Speak to those people now about okay, this this is um, beyond the pale. Here's what I've learned through this, and here's what helped me get back to solid ground. What what would you say to those folks? Because a lot of these people are are dealing with this in isolation, and even church folk will come up and say, "Well, you know, uh, you, you know." Uh, God, God's in control or God's sovereign or whatever, you know, they, they'll, they'll say things that, that make sense to them, but doesn't penetrate into the anguish of you and your son. And you've had to learn that the hard way you've had to go through that, but you've come, you've not, I don't want to say you've come through it. You've learned to appropriate the, the, the faithfulness of God in this in a way that you would have never done before. And, and, other folks are desperate to find a solid ground in this. Speak to that a little bit, Mark. Well, the idea behind Survive, Alive, Thrive is it's three different stages of the grief recovery journey. And the first stage, which is Survive, means literally that. I mean, most folks who have been through tough stuff like this 
you know, understand that immediately following this type of event, you're just hanging on and trying to get from one moment or one day to the next. And at that time, you know, for me, it was early morning walks, um, praying and crying and, and walking and running and, you know, in the, literally in the pre-dawn midnight, you know, or 4 a.m. darkness in suburban Connecticut, just trying to get answers and ask God to walk with me. And he, he answered me that he was greater than that, greater than anything that I was going through, greater than the cancer I'd experienced, greater than the learning disabilities my son had, and certainly greater than the depression and the uh, and eventually the suicide that my wife had because he was so great that he had forgiven her and loved her and was holding her. And, you know, there's a, a song, a well-known song that became a movie, which is I Can Only Imagine. And it, that, that song um, by Bart Millard and Mercy Me, you know, articulates this idea that when we leave this world and we arrive face-to-face with Christ, that we can only imagine what that will be like. And the lyrics are, you know, will I be able to speak at all? Will I stand on my knees? Or or will I stand or will I fall to my knees? It's this imagery that is effectively the most wonderful, amazing, healing moment in all of our life experiences. And it's so easy to think about that in the context of your own journey. But I found great strength in imagining that despite the great pain and, and trauma and brokenness that I was experiencing, that in fact at that moment I could argue that and I could envision that Victoria was embraced by God, by the love and grace of Christ, and now at this moment, at this moment, she was healed in ways that I can only imagine. And, and that was what I had to hold on to and embrace as I was going through that survive stage. And then the next stage, of course, is how do we start healing and moving forward and helping others in this process? So that was my personal experience following uh, unexplainable loss and broken. You know, I, I listen to what you say here, and a lot of people would take theological issues because some people just like to argue you know, that suicide is this unforgivable sin or blah, da, da, da. Your wife was broken. This was not something that she was going to do through a normal course of her life. If, if this wreck and this trauma and all these things, these are things that, that she was broken. And this is a disease taking a hold of someone in, in, in a way that is so devastating. And, and I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm not a medical doctor. I'm not a pastor. I have great hair, but I'm not a preacher. And it's, uh, you know, so I'm not going to sit there and rest on any kind of professional authority on this. But I can tell you, I, I have seen the evidence of trauma and the evidence of brokenness and mental illness and disease. And when people want to come up and heap more judgment on a family like that, it, it's cruel. It's cruel because they don't understand the nature of disease. And, and trauma and brokenness. But you know what? We have a Savior that does. This is Hope for the Caregiver. This is Peter Rosenberger. We'll be right back. 
I'll never forget walking into the hospital room after Gracie had her second amputation. Both legs are gone now. And she looked at me. She said, I know what I'm going to do. And I was kind of startled. I said, well, what are you going to do? She said, I'm going to help provide prosthetic limbs to my fellow amputees and tell them about Jesus. And I said, well, baby, can we get out of the hospital first? But she never let it go. And for almost 20 years, we've been working out of Ghana, West Africa. We treat patients all over there from other countries that come there. We send supplies. We send teams. We sponsor patients. We work with a prison where inmates volunteer to disassemble used prosthetic limbs so we can recycle the parts. All of this because Gracie trusted God with her heartache. We've got a huge shipment of supplies that is being loaded up right now to go out soon. Would you help us do it? Standingwithhope.com slash giving. Standingwithhope.com slash giving. There's prosthetic feet, knees, pylons, sleeves, adapters, all kinds of connectors. All of these things we are sending over there so that people can walk. We're going to point them to Christ. Help us out. Standingwithhope.com slash giving. It's much easier to be forgiven than to ask for forgiveness. This week we've looked at God's traits and how they should impact the way we live. While God is holy, good, just, and love, He's also merciful. One of the greatest marks of spiritual maturity is the ability to show mercy in response to personal offense by someone else. Hello, I'm Sam Rohr with another Stand in the Gap Minute. One of the most challenging traits to emulate is the mercy of God. Psalm 116.5 says God is merciful, but what does that mean? Well, mercy is defined as compassion or forgiveness shown towards someone else, often from the one who is stronger to one who is weaker. We're called to be merciful to those around us. Jesus promised, blessed are the merciful. Why? Well, for they shall obtain mercy. You see, mercy is part of our DNA as followers of Christ. So let's help others see it through our actions. Discover more at AmericanPastorsNetwork.net. He will be strong to deliver me safe. And the joy of the Lord is my strength. Welcome back to Hope for the Caregiver. This is Peter Rosenberger. This is the show for you as a family caregiver. And now we come to the part where we've gone through these very difficult conversations with Mark over uh, the journey he's had with, with losing his wife, this terrible wreck that led to these awful consequences. But now, as that song says, the joy of the Lord is my strength. Now, we have a, we, we, it's important for us as caregivers to understand that the pursuit of our life cannot be happiness. If it is, that's elusive and temporary, and it's, and it's often circumstantial. But the joy of the Lord is different. You know, and, and the joy of the Lord is something that is solid to hold on to, knowing that even through tears, we have his strength and, and the joy that comes with it, knowing that, that this is not the end of the story and that there is life to be lived and live abundantly, even in the midst of this broken world. And and I think that's why I love that song that Gracie and Russ Taft sing on that. And 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 Mark, take us now to the thrive. We've we you survived it. You did. You survived it a, a, against all yeah. odds in some respects, but you did it. And you and your son, and you're alive, and you're thriving. And take us to that place now, and 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 offer that that same joy that you depend upon to to listeners today. Well, in the surviving stage, as I mentioned, it was just depending on God and trusting that His greatness was so much greater than anything I was experiencing. And that led me to testify in Victoria's eulogy that 
God was greater, we weren't going to let the events that we all suffered further victimize us and, and shame us or guilt us. And following that, I received so many phone calls and text messages and emails of people saying literally, thank you for testifying to the grace of God through Christ in any circumstance. And that encouraged me, and I started digging deeper into the the grief recovery process and discovered a, a new way to blend effectively clinical and, and tactical ways to rebuild your heart and your, and, and your spiritual self, while at the same time uh, leaning on God and, and counting on Him in this process. And that what, that's what led this this whole initiative. There, I sought counseling from a Christian counselor to talk about it. You'd mentioned something a little earlier. You know, there's a, a psychologist at UCLA, um, who is a guy named Dan Siegel, who's pioneered this research that shows that when you share your story with somebody who cares, that you actually experience healing just from sharing. Oh, so I started absolutely. sharing. And, and that sharing process doesn't mean that I'm getting good advice. It's just the act of sharing with someone who cares. So along that line, that led me to start hosting grief groups. I started researching, and, and I've interviewed hundreds of people who have gone through stuff, losing children and parents and siblings in different ways or struggling with mental health issues or supporting somebody with a, a terminal illness and so forth. And it's actually been inc- incredibly encouraging. And along that way, my son and I, in 2018, two years later, relocated into the Nashville area. And as God would have it, I was blessed to meet this extraordinary woman who had also relocated into Nashville at the time to caretake for her parents. And turns out she's a PhD in preventative health and and nutrition and exercise, and also a board-certified nurse practitioner in the psych and mental health area. And she and I started talking about the mission and what I was involved with. And you know what? We fell in love. And a year later, we got engaged. And Malin, my partner and wife, is, and I just celebrated our one-year anniversary. Mm. And our, our son is doing well. He's, he's working um, and finding his way and uh, really starting to open his healing process by sharing some of the things that he's kept to himself over the last couple of years. And I'm just going to say that for you out there who are going through this, who are experiencing the, the, tra- the trauma of loss, or you've done so in the past, um, or you're about to, I promise you that there is hope that you can find a way not only live a happy life, which is, as I completely agree with Peter, it's such a temporal conditional dynamic, right? But joy, and, you know, one of the really interesting things, Kate Warren, um, Rick Warren's wife said, joy is the state of mind where you have happiness regardless of what happens. It transcends Mm. the world. And part of that is giving back and giving back in a way that, not only helps others, but helps you. And a great example of this is uh, a quote from Billy Graham. And in one of his devotionals, Under the Hills, he says that the sufferer becomes the comforter 
in the service of the Lord. And effectively, he's saying that Christ modeled suffering, and now in in our brokenness, we turn to him for comfort. And he's saying, Graham's quote is saying, is, is scripturally, 1 Corinthians, is like, look, when you have suffered, now you have an opportunity to help others by sharing. You'll experience healing yourself, and you'll help somebody get through their brokenness, and you'll be serving God in that process. I mean, what a remarkable um, example and model that God showed for us and gives us the ability. And, I mean, I can say I, I have a reluctant platform, having gone through what I've been through. It's not the journey I would have written up. Um, it's not what I would have planned. But here we are, and ultimately you trust him. You know that he's greater than anything that you can go through in the world, and you can find this joy in your life if you trust him and give it a chance. Just don't give up and move yourself through the process with the company of God as somebody who will never leave you or forsake you, and then with a community of others who are there to support you and love you, understand what you're going through. You are not alone, and you can make it through, I promise. Indeed. You know, I love that verse in Corinthians, comfort one another with the same comfort that you yourself have received from the God of all comfort. And there there is that unusual event that happens that when we just share the story when we spend time with other folks and we, we we weep with those who weep we mourn with those who mourn it strengthens us strengthens us along the journey as well and we start to see god's provision moving knowing that there are things in this broken fallen world that we will not see redeemed until we get into heaven we we won't see that you know, the, but but I, I'm reminded of a of a story. The uh, you know who Fanny Crosby is? Uh, she's one of the greatest okay. hymn writers of all time, maybe the greatest. And they said, well, how can you write these wonderful hymns when you're blind? You know, why, why would you know God has let you be blind and you're writing these hymns? And she wrote things like "Blessed Assurance" and "To God Be the Glory, Great Things He Has Done." And she said, "Oh no, you don't understand. The next face that I see will be the face of Jesus." And I Amen. thought. What an extraordinary statement. And I think that's the thing we all have as believers, knowing that there is that anticipation that this will be made right. And we trust him in the meantime. And how do we know we can trust him? Because he stretched out his arms and gave his life for us on the cross. It always comes back to the cross. And if we understand more of the cross, then that will strengthen us as we deal with the things in this world that are so broken. Uh, and that's that's our journey. That's that's our that's our invitation to travel with Christ on this. And we're talking with Mark Negley, who wrote this book, wonderful book, "Survive, Alive, Thrive." And Mark, I want you I want you to know how much I appreciate you spending time with us. You've opened up your soul again. This is an unsolicited platform that you have. I get that a reluctant platform, as you said, because um, you sure. did. But 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 you are compelled to share because once we've experienced that growth. Part of our own journey as, as believers is we are compelled to offer that which we ourselves have received and 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 seen and witnessed. And you've witnessed this comfort, and I'm so grateful for what you've done today. If people want to find out more about you, where do they go? Well, please go to our nonprofit website, which is survivealivethrive.org. 
and there's community and opportunities to reach out to me and share your story or, or get support. My wife and partner, Dr. Melin Galbraith, takes questions and advice on how to caretake for yourself, uh, particularly as a caregiver. And, you know, I would just say, listen, that here's the one thing. It's not just me saying or you saying this, can, this is going to work out. Right, Matthew 5, Jesus himself in the Sermon on the Mount, verse 3, said, Blessed are those that mourn, for they will be comforted. Be comforted. And that doesn't mean just blessed are those who are feeling bad and down and, and, and struggling. It means blessed are those who turn to me with their, with their loss and their brokenness, for they will be comforted. So, you know, come to us, please. That's the flag that you planted in today's show. Blessed are those who turn to Christ. But that's what he's saying. That, that that you will be comforted. Oh, Mark, I tell you what, you have you've been a, just a real blessing today, and and I I know that what you're doing is is uh, there are many tears in this journey that you've had. You and your son both, and uh, but I also see that God is is weaving in this. Something extraordinary, you know. Uh, he does not willingly afflict the sons of men. It says in Lamentations, "Who he causes grief, he also has great compassion." And uh, a friend of mine said he reaches into the most horrific circumstances and pulls out something extraordinary. I don't know how he does it. I don't know why he does it. I just know that I'm grateful that he has done it, and he's done it in your life. This is Mark Negley. His new book, "Survive, Alive, Thrive," wherever books are sold. And this is Hope for the Caregiver. And we hope you've been strengthened by today. We hope you've been encouraged by today. We hope we left you better than we found you. And knowing that healthy caregivers make better caregivers. And it's really okay for you to be healthy. Mark, thanks for being with us today. We'll see you all next time. My privilege. Thank you, Peter. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio. Faith. 